This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we're taking a look at what's happening in North Carolina politics for the week of Monday, May 31st. Hello, North Carolina politics podcasters. This is Will Doran from the Raleigh News and Observer coming at you here for Under the Dome, uh, our political podcast. I'm going to be telling you what is in store for the week ahead, this first week of June. Some of y'all might have a bit of a Memorial Day hangover, uh, so I will try not to keep this uh, too long and hope that you uh, get back to it. Uh, Our Elected officials are going to be getting back to it here. Uh, The big thing coming up is the state GOP convention uh, this coming weekend, which former President Donald Trump will be speaking at. Um, I have some more details for you later on that. I'm also going to talk money a little bit. We've got a tax cut uh, that is moving forward at the General Assembly, uh, backed by Republicans, uh, with a goal of eventually getting the corporate tax rate down to zero here, joining a handful of other states with that to hopefully make us more uh, amenable to businesses, uh, they say, uh, that's going to get some pushback from Democrats, of course. We also have more money angles. We've got uh, some back-to-work stimulus checks that are in the works. Uh, We have a bill advancing on uh, a student loan bill of rights uh, that could be of interest to some of y'all with student loans or with kids or both. Um, And then we have some election stuff that might be going on. So there's a lot happening, but let's get down to it. Uh, the GOP convention this weekend is obviously going to be the big news. I'm going to be there in person. It's in Greenville. Uh, I imagine a lot of the rest of the national media will be there as well. Uh, as I said, former President Donald Trump is going to be speaking. His speech is not open to the media. Uh, they do not want people knowing what he has to say or what kind of discussion goes on with the party officials there. Uh, you know, We'll be seeing if they change their minds on that or maybe let us get some interviews in. Um, but the other speech that is going to be public is also a, uh, a growing name in GOP politics, and that is South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. Uh, she is widely considered to be running for president in 2024 and has been doing a tour uh, in advance of that, including coming here. And she is very Trumpy, uh, very far right, and... Uh, so she will fit right in with the former president being here as well. Um, she is probably most known uh, for South Dakota's COVID response, which was very much in line with the political priorities, not necessarily the CDC guidelines of the Trump administration. Uh, she was against uh, stay-at-home orders, against mask mandates, um, and it turned out to be fairly bad. They had... Uh, about 14% of people there got COVID as of the latest numbers that I've seen, which is uh, the the third worst rate in the nation behind North Dakota and Rhode Island. Um, and for a while, South Dakota actually had the highest COVID death rate in the country. Or no, I'm sorry, in the world. If it had been its own country, it would have had the highest death rate in the world. That was according to an NBC News story that I read. Um, however, she has defended that response, uh, saying that you know, it needs to be all about personal freedom and making your own choices. And if people choose to go out and not wear masks, then that is their own choice. Um, and so that is kind of the platform that she is taking into this. 
and it, it's going to be a huge event. I mean, you're going to have Republicans from all over the state there. The really the the big storyline, but much of which will be happening behind closed doors, is the ramp up for the Senate primary for 2022. That is going to be a huge race. Uh, the last few Senate races here in North Carolina for those U.S. Senate seats have been, you know, just about the most expensive ever. Uh, I think one of them, maybe the Tom Tills versus Kay Hagan race was the most expensive Senate race ever in history. Fact check me on that, please, if I'm wrong about that. Um, but, you know, you've got several big name candidates in that race. You've got the former president there who they are all going to be angling for an endorsement from. Uh, you've got you know donors and activists from all over the state who are going to be convening. So there's going to be a whole lot of jockeying for support, for pledges, for endorsements, uh, for just getting your message out and getting face to face with people. The primary is a little less than a year away. It's March of 2022. So this is not going to be those candidates last chance, obviously, at meeting with donors and activists and getting out there. But uh, having them all in one place in Greenville this weekend is going to be huge for them. Um, and uh, it'll probably be on the national news since you have both Christy Nome and Donald Trump there. So, uh, you know, anything that some of those, uh, you know, Senate candidates can do to try to get national news spots as well. Uh, you imagine they're all going to be trying to elbow each other out of the way to get those. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Like I said, they don't right now. They're saying that, uh, that Trump's speech is not going to be open to the media, uh, but we'll see if any of that changes. And if it does, I'm sure you will hear from us here at the news observer. And if we have any attendees who want to record that speech and send it to your favorite reporter, uh, please do so. My email is W Doran at newsobserver.com. Uh, or if I am not your favorite political reporter and someone else's. Uh, you can find all of our email addresses on our stories. So any tips, leaks, recordings, anything like that, whether it's from the convention or about anything else going on in the world, always appreciated. Now, let's move on to taxes. Um, this has been the big news this week. Uh, Senate Republicans rolled out a tax cut plan here. Uh, right now, in North Carolina, corporations pay a 2.5% income tax rate. Individuals pay about twice as much, 5.25%. This bill would lower the individual rate to just under 5%, 499 and it would completely eliminate corporate taxes, facing them out over the next few years. Um, obviously, moving the rates down helps wealthy people and businesses disproportionately, since that's how math works. They make more money, so bigger percentages helps them more. Uh, however, the tax plan does have some things aimed at the middle class. Um, it's got a boost to both the standard deduction and also an increase to how much you get back for having kids. Uh, so this is moving pretty fast. Um, it'll be interesting to watch. If it were to be a standalone bill, I think it's safe to say that Governor Cooper would almost certainly veto it. Um, he has long said that corporations should be paying more taxes and certainly not zero dollars. But if this gets attached to the budget, then it gets trickier. We haven't passed a real estate budget here in a couple of years due to political fights between Republican lawmakers and Cooper, a Democrat. But both sides are itching to actually accomplish something this year on the budget. Um, they've been playing nice. Uh, Governor Cooper has essentially dropped his 
demand, not so much of a demand, but at least a strong hint that he would veto the budget if he didn't have Medicaid expansion like in the past. Uh, so he has dropped that stumbling block. Um, so it's interesting now to see these tax cuts come up. And, you know, the big question is, is that going to give Cooper a new reason to veto the budget? Um, he might just bite the bullet on this, especially if there's other things that he wants that get included in the budget, like sizable teacher raises. But if not, and this leads to yet another stalemate, uh, you know, we're going to have another year without a budget <laughs> and uh, uh, more questions of who do voters blame, uh, the Democratic governor or the Republican legislature. But we will cross that bridge when we get there. That is all, you know, just kind of uh, wait and see at this point. But that tax bill is moving forward pretty quick. Um, my colleague Don Vaughn has written several stories about that. Lots more details. If you have missed those stories, I definitely go suggest going and checking it out. Um, for the median household income in the state, uh, which is around a combined income of around $54,000. That's what the typical family or the typical household in North Carolina makes. Um, uh, a family making that much with two kids would save about $320 a year on their taxes, which is about a 21% savings. Um, so certainly nothing to, uh, to sneeze at. Um, you know, everyone could use a about 300 extra bucks. Um, but I think the, uh, probably the big, the big fight is going to be over the corporate taxes. I, I have a feeling that's what Democrats are going to want to focus on more so than the individual income taxes. Although I could be wrong. I could be proven wrong if I am, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll accept that. Uh, I, I own that. Um, but one thing that Governor Cooper and the Republican-led legislature do have some common ground on is with getting people back to work. Um, so what we've seen in the past couple of weeks is uh, the governor has lifted some of the uh, loosened rules that he'd put in place during the COVID pandemic for unemployment. And now people do, once again, if they want to keep getting unemployment, have to prove that they're actually out trying to get a job. Uh, he lifted that in March of 2020 because obviously it would have been pretty mean of him to, you know, shut down a lot of the businesses in the state, but then <laughs> tell people they had to keep, you know, job hunting as at the same time that he was telling them to stay at home. Um, so that got lifted back a little over a year ago, but those rules are phasing out now. For some people, they've already been phasing out for the past couple months, but starting uh, this week, actually, the first week of June, they are those work search requirements are going to be back in place for anyone who is on unemployment. Um, so Republicans are happy about that. Cooper says it's important to get people back to work. And then the other thing that they are working on is trying to figure out some sort of plan to actually incentivize speeding that up and pay people money to go find a job. Um, this is being pushed for by businesses, particularly in the service and tourism industries. Uh, they were obviously hit pretty hard by COVID and had, you know, I mean, some places had workers die. Some places had workers, you know, just move on, get a new job. They didn't just sit around and wait for this last year for their old job to open back up. They found a new career. Um, and then also you have summer coming up, you know, they need to ramp up seasonal hiring and, uh, you know, with a lot of people still on unemployment, uh, what Republicans say is that they are maybe not so inclined to go get a job since they are taking in those unemployment payments. Um, so 
both the governor, the, the governor has told the unemployment office to talk to the feds about some sort of incentive program, what the options possibly are. The Republican lawmakers have put out a specific plan saying that we should take some of the federal unemployment money and turn that into the kind of signing bonuses for people, give people up to 1500 bucks if they go get a job. Um, they, that is probably going to face some pushback in DC. Apparently, uh, they're expecting the Biden administration and the Department of Labor to not be a fan of that plan. So, uh, right now, the latest is that we are trying to get our members of Congress on board, uh, with that. And, uh, some of the Republican backers of that plan here in the legislature say they've talked to some members of Congress and, uh, think they're generally in favor. But then at the same time, we also had our two senators, uh, Tom Tillis and Richard Burr, come out and say that North Carolina needs to give all of the federal unemployment money back and stop accepting it. Um, and obviously, if we do that, we would not be able to pay for the stimulus checks that uh, lawmakers here are hoping to use that money to pay for. So there's just, you know, all sorts of different opinions on basically what the next steps are, how to get people back to work and the economy cranked back up this summer. Uh, that A bill on that has been advancing for the past week, um, and it is going to continue advancing probably pretty quickly, I have to imagine. So that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Um, one more money thing that we're following uh, is a student loan bill of rights. Uh, Danielle Battaglia wrote about that for us. And uh, what it would do, it would not forgive anyone's student loans. It would not, you know, pay money back for them, but it would give people basically just better assurances that they're going to be treated right in this process. They're not going to get hoodwinked by student loan companies. They're going to be given information up front uh, that is clear and transparent about what they're getting themselves into. Um, because, you know, for most of the time you have, you know, teenagers agreeing to take on, you know, a ton of money. Uh, you know, oftentimes it's bigger than a mortgage payment. Uh, saying that from experience uh, as someone who is married to a lawyer who has some student loans from law school, uh, they can get kind of pricey. Um, and even undergrad uh, loans can get up there. Um, so I'll throw out a number for you here. $362 million dollars. That is not the student loan debt in North Carolina. That is the amount of tobacco that farmers here grew in 2020. $362 million. That is a huge amount of money. You would have to do that same crop for 132 straight years to get up to $48 billion, which is how much student loan we have in North Carolina. $48 billion. That is twice the size of the annual state budget, uh, which means that, you know, if uh, if lawmakers wanted to fire every state employee, shut down all the schools, shut down all the universities, let all the animals out of the zoo in Ashboro, stop paving all the roads, uh, and just put 100% of the state's income into paying off people's student loans, it would still take a couple of years to get that done. Um, it's just a massive amount of money, and it's just growing, uh, you know, for millennials like me. Uh, you see all of these, you know, national think pieces about, you know, oh, you know, millennials aren't buying houses, you know, they're not taking fancy vacations. Uh, I think I saw one, we killed the napkin industry. We're just buying paper towels instead of fancy napkins. Um, you know, <laughs> not all of that is because of student loans, but, uh, certainly some of it is, uh, it has just been ballooning and, uh, $48 billion is definitely not nothing. Uh, so that'll be an interesting bill to watch as if that moves forward, basically giving, uh, 
the next generation of student loan borrowers uh, just more guarantees that they'll be treated well in the process and definitely, not definitely, have a better chance of knowing what they're getting themselves into. Finally, the last couple of things that we could see popping up next week are two election-related things, uh, getting off the money angle and into voting. Um, So this week will be around a month since the trial ended over the voter ID law uh, that voters passed with a constitutional amendment in 2018. That has been sued in both federal and state courts. Um, The state trial on that ended Um, And I wrote about that, some articles if you want to go and Google that. uh, You should be able to find that from uh, late April, early May. Uh, It was a three-week-long trial, whole lot of arguments. Um, The judges still have not issued a ruling, as you can imagine, uh, three weeks of witness testimony and pretty you know, data heavy technical reports on, you know, who will or won't be disenfranchised uh, and all sorts of, you know, arguments related to that. Takes a bit for them to digest. So, uh, but it's been a month now. We could start, you know, expecting to see that ruling kind of anytime. Um, so that that's on my radar. But like I said earlier, there's both a state and a federal lawsuit. This is just the state one. The federal lawsuit isn't even going to trial until next January. Um, so, you know, no matter what we hear about this state one, that's not going to be the final word. And we probably won't know for at least six or seven months, uh, maybe longer, uh, whether or not we're going to have voter ID in North Carolina. So still kind of up in the air if we even have that for the 2022 elections, um, you know, and it just kind of points to how long these sorts of legal challenges can take. You know, people passed that law in late 2018. It got, well, people passed the ID in 2018. It got signed into law in the last couple of days of 2018, got sued over, and then 2019, 2020, <laughs> 2021, and then it's going to get into 2022 before, you know, the the second trial on that is heard. So uh, these things move slowly, uh, but hopefully we should have some sort of resolution for that next year. And we'll know for the 2022 or if not, probably at least the 2024 presidential big general elections, whether or not we're going to have voter ID in North Carolina. And then finally, the last little elections piece, last thing that uh, is on my radar for the next week is a bill about letting cities move their elections from this fall into 2022. Um, Speaking of delays within the government, uh, (laughs) this is not because of the court system, but because of the Census Bureau uh, has just taken way too long to get out the new numbers from the 2020 census that, uh, you know, every state is legally required to have and to redraw election districts. Uh, You know, if you, wherever you live, you you definitely live in a U.S. Congress district. You definitely live in a state house district. You definitely live in a state Senate district. You probably also live in districts for your, you know, city council, county commission, maybe even your school board, uh, potentially judicial races. All of those districts have to be redrawn using the new data. That's not out. So there's a bill to let some cities move their elections from this fall in just a few months into 2022. Uh, and that is moving forward. There's a ton of different options in there. It's very complicated because 
every city seemingly does its elections differently. I say that as someone who's covered half a different half a dozen different cities in North Carolina, and I think every single one has had some sort of different flavor to their election, whether that's on the date it happened or the way it happened or whatever. So very complicated, but very important to a whole lot of people who run municipal elections, who are interested in what their cities are doing, interested in stuff about zoning and what's going on with their neighborhood, with their city. So definitely something to keep a watch out for if you are into municipal politics. And if you're not, here's my pitch for you to pay attention to local politics and get involved in city elections. It's very important and affects your life. And with that, I will leave you all for next week. This is Will Dorn from the News and Observer and the Under the Dome podcast. Thanks for listening. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider. And sign up for our weekly political newsletter at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.